Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. It's going to be a good day unless you happen to reside in Duval. Duval. And I'm guessing your day already sucks. I'm guessing your night was horrible. It was for me, and I'm in SoCal. SoCal! And it just sucked for me because I laid the points. Memo to self. Rule to self. Never, ever lay double digits in an NFL game ever again. Big Head tried to talk me off that last night when I was commiserating with him. And by the way, nice job. Head Head won that game. Duval, that was rough. That was brutal. That was ugly. That was a horrible night that just kept getting worse and worse and worse. Hey, remember when we were talking about that whole number one seed thing? That whole control your destiny thing? That whole, you know what? You could actually run away with the AFC South thing. Remember all that? Remember all that? I do. Because it was freaking yesterday that we were having that conversation. Yo, that didn't last long. That fell apart pretty damn quickly. Now, don't get this twisted. Things were actually still okay with around six minutes left in the fourth quarter. No, the Jags did not play that well. In fact, they haven't played well at all. But they had the ball in a tie game and a chance to take the lead and get the hell out of there with that one seed still intact. Then Trevor Lawrence got his ankle turned inside out and bent backwards Looked like you put it on backwards and then flattened. We're still waiting to see the extent of that, but for right now, it apparently looks like it's a sprain. So it looks like it looked a lot worse than what it actually is, but we're still waiting for more information. And the reason it looks so bad is because Trevor, I think, is still limping down that tunnel. I don't think he ever actually made it to his destination. Yo, Jags. Um... Where the hell do you keep the carts? How do you not have a ride ready for your franchise quarterback after your franchise quarterback put his ankle on backwards? Not even backwards. Like, he was pointed in four different directions. And my man is hobbling to the locker room. (laughs) That had to have been one of the most absurd optics ever on MNF. Your franchise QB limping and gimping his way down the longest stadium tunnel ever with no golf cart in sight on national TV, chronicling every last painful step. Isn't Florida like the golf cart capital of the world? I feel like there are more golf carts than people in the state of Florida, but not a cart anywhere near the tunnel. Or near the franchise quarterback. As always, make that make sense, Jags. Can I also preface this by saying you know this? I love Duval. I love the Jags. I was so fired up for that. But I have a question for you. Did they make him walk to the hospital for x-rays also? They probably told him, you know what, my man? Walk it off. Don't drive home. Keep it loose. Keep that ankle loose. Walk home. Do not drive your car. Better just to walk all the way home. And before, and before you try to tell me that he may have turned down a cart, yeah, I don't think so. You see how miserable that guy looked? You see how much in pain he appeared to be? Taking the tiniest, most painful steps ever down the longest stadium tunnel ever. I'm guessing that guy would have taken a cart. I don't really think he would have turned down a cart. What, not, not even a wheelchair? Not even a Paul Pierce wheelchair? Not even a skateboard? Not even a little scooter that they have for geriatrics at Costco? A walker? Nothing? What, was the golf cart guy doing donuts in the parking lot? I mean, anyway, thankfully it could have been worse. Could have been so much worse. I mean, it would not appear that his season's over. I I don't know, but the only speculation is he'll be back. It could be worse for him 
Unlike that game, though, for the Jags, which went about as badly as it possibly could, it's generally pretty bad when you take an undrafted quarterback. Again, Savage, you're going to have to leave the room. Just like yesterday when we were talking about the selection committee because we're talking about your team. You've made it pretty clear that you still live and die with this squad. It's usually time to die. It's usually pretty bad when you take an undrafted quarterback who has never won a start. And you turn this guy into John Elway, Thank you to Joe John Montana, Elway. and Johnny Unitas all rolled into one. Hey, John. That's not easy to do, and that's exactly what the Jacks did to Jake Browning last night. Taking nothing away from Jake Browning. I mean, couldn't be more impressed with this guy. But let's not forget, he's Jake Browning. Look at this guy's numbers. 32 of 37, 354 yards. A passing TD, a rushing TD, no turnovers, and most importantly, no freaking pulse. This dude's a flatline, man, and I mean that in the best way possible. Jake Browning, in a Monday night game, on the road, against the supposed alleged AFC number one seed. I mean, Jags D, good job, good effort. Good job, good effort. And by good job, good effort, I mean... The hell was that? What was that? At least we know one thing for sure. That's no number one seed. That doesn't even look like a play. And if you're going to be like, hey, Rome, bitter much? Bitter much? Yes. Yes, I am. And I'll tell you why. It's not because I lost some bet. I don't give a damn about that. But I'll tell you what I am bitter about. I'm bitter that I was the guy sitting here yesterday saying, hey, man, this is an opportunity. This is a potential number one seed. This is a team that knows they're a number one seed. This is a team that knows the entire nation is going to be watching. Duvall is going to be getting ready for this all day long. This is a moment. This is a moment. And then that. Then they take a big dump in their pants. Yeah, I know. Only one game. Only one game and one enormous dump in their pants. Yeah, I'm bitter. I expect a hell of a lot more than what I saw last night. At least last night, we had that conversation. Then they got torched by an undrafted quarterback who had never won a start before. And maybe the worst part is Jacksonville got an absolute gift, and it still was not enough to win this game. Essentially, a free touchdown. And before I get into one of the ugliest plays that I've ever seen in my entire life, let me be very clear about this. This is a big Tyler Boyd house. And the reason for that is that dude is an awesome, dynamic receiver. This is not a big Tyler Boyd house, though, because he is an awesome, dynamic quarterback. So I've got absolutely no idea why Zach Taylor decided to dial up a double pass for Boyd when his actual QB was burning hotter than the surface of the sun itself. However, spoiler alert, that did not work out very well. From the 25-yard line, first and 10, shotgun snap to the Bengal quarterback, goes laterally caught by Boyd. He wants to throw, and he does it. He throws an interception. It's caught by Allen. He goes from the 20 to the 10, the hash mark to the 9. Down he goes. I don't know what they were doing there. The wide receiver caught the lateral pass, trying to throw it back across the field, picked off by the Jaguar. Now it's first and goal at the nine. Oh, my goodness. Quote, I don't know what they were doing there. Oh, my goodness. Kevin, my man, nor do I. That's got to be on the short list of worst plays I have ever seen. I've got no idea what anybody is thinking on that play. I have no idea why that play was called. I have no idea why that play's in the playbook. I have no idea why that ball was thrown. I have no idea what my dude Ty is looking at. I don't understand how any of that happened. If you told me Cincinnati was intentionally trying to gift-wrapped Jacksonville 7, that would make more sense to me than the idea that anybody thought that play was actually going to work. And yet somehow, the Jags took that straight seven-point gift in a home primetime game against an undrafted quarterback, backup quarterback, and they still found a way to lose that game? So let me throw some credit to Cincinnati. 
not for that horrific pick, but for pretty much everything else they did all night long and for pretty much saving their season on the road in primetime once again as double-digit underdogs. And yes, they kept their season alive. Not only did they keep their season alive, these guys literally still have a look at the playoffs. They do. As bad a loss as that was for the Jags, that was brass as hell for Cincinnati. So credit for that. Credit for all of that. Well, except for that one play call. But credit for everything else. Let's say what else. Credit to Orlando Brown Jr. for dropping a, quote, jackass on all the doubters during a TD celebration in the second quarter. My dude looked right into the camera, made direct eye contact with all of America, and blasted all of us between the eyes with this. Wow. Epic jackass blast. Jackass! You know, in today's world, it seems the best treatment is reserved for only a few. Well, Discover wants to change that by making everybody feel special. That's why with your Discover card, you have access to 24-7 live customer service, as well as $0 fraud liability, which means you're never held responsible for unauthorized purchases. Finally, no matter who you are or where you are in life, you'll feel special with Discover. Learn more at discover.com slash credit card. Limitations apply. Orlando, my man, but... But why? Explain why you just hit us with a jackass blast. Jackass? Uh, I mean, honestly, man, I was uh, getting ready pregame. I seen all the uh, picks pregame, and, uh, you know, everyone had Jacksonville out there to win. I don't know. I just just seemed like right in the moment. So, jackass. Incredible. Two things. Two things. Number one, incredible. Incredible. That he just looked right into the camera and screamed, jackass. Jackass! And that was for us to interpret. And he had to know that he'd be asked about that afterwards. And then he had such an incredible response. That was so great. That was for everybody that picked against us. In other words, he was talking to me. He was talking to me. I'm only jackass! sorry he didn't go, hey, Rome, jackass. Jackass! Because I'm thinking maybe he heard big head bets. And he heard me throw down on the Jags. And he was like, jackass! Jackass! And he's right. That is absolutely incredible. One of my favorite moments of the entire NFL season. Him looking into a camera and just blasting out, jackass! Jackass! And by the way, to some of the losers on the X, stop quote Xing awesome stuff and talking about fines. Nobody needs you clipping that incredible celebration and adding, gonna get a fine in the morning. I got a better idea. How about you get a life in the morning? How about you pay this guy in the morning? Count your own money clowns. Why are we actively rooting for dudes to get fined and especially for when they're doing awesome stuff? How about we just enjoy awesome stuff and let the league and the teams and the players handle the business end of it. Believe me, the Shield finds enough reasons to find people. They don't need you narcs on the X. Jackass. Jackass. You narcs on the X are worse than you narcs watching PGA golf and finding rules violations and reporting them. You're even worse than those losers. Today's golf is a so-called gentleman's sport where they self-report and there are nerds who have nothing better to do. But you're coming for that guy? Fine him. Thank him. Like I am. He may even be talking about me and I want to thank him. You don't need to snitch on Orlando Brown for dropping an epic jackass blast. And you don't need to snitch out Jamar Chase either for keeping it real with NFL media after the game. Look. Sometimes you ask a dude what was said in a huddle, and generally what you get is a really boring generic answer. Then, sometimes you ask a dude what was said in a huddle, and you get something incredible, like this. That final drive in overtime, you get guys get the ball, you need to get in field goal range. What was said in the huddle? Really just fight, man. Just keep fighting, you know what I'm saying? We stepping on your neck, just 
Might as well slit their throat while we're here, you know what I'm saying? So just keep fighting, y'all. That's all I said. Oh, is that all? Can I get a hell yes? Or do you want to find me too for getting behind him? Is that all you said? We're stepping on their neck. We might as well slit their throat while we're here. Might as well, dude. As long as you're down there, you might as well finish them. Incredible. Might as well slit their throat while we're here, you know what I'm saying? So. Oh, I know what you're saying, dude. And I could not appreciate it more. You want to know why Cincinnati walked out of there with their first MNF road win since 1990? That's why. Because they were there to step on throats and slit them. Might as well slit their throat while we're here, you know what I'm saying? So. And let everybody know who thought otherwise that they're jackasses. That's why they got out of there. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? Probably so. Listen, this time, don't make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Grab instead a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. That's my go-to. Why Old Trapper? Because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and it's tender and it's made from real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. Plus, Old Trapper is a family-owned business. I know this family, and I know they take smoked beef extremely seriously so you can taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. It's like eating an old shoe. Old Trapper, though, is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors, old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, and hot and spicy. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, grab some Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in the Clearview bag. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? Will Anderson Jr. is my guest. Will, it's great to have you back on. Will, how you doing? It's doing good. Thank you for having me back again. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. It's great to have you. Hey, let me preface this by saying team first always, and I'm going to get there in a minute, but you had a breakout game against Denver. You had those two sacks. You had four quarterback hits. That was the first multi-sack game of your pro career. How hyped are you to be finding your rhythm and your groove in getting pressure on and getting to the quarterback? Yeah, it's been great, man. Just learning everything and learning from a great group of guys in the room, man. It's been awesome. I love working with those guys. I love the coaching staff that D'Amico's put together. They're very um, good, you know what I'm saying? So it's been fun just finding that groove. You know, they the the older guys and the vets in the room, you know, they've been doing a really good job of helping me keep my head, you know, on the right thing and make sure that I'm still going out there and doing my job and not getting distracted by anything. And just more so for me, it's just anywhere I can help the team. And that's really just going out there and doing my job, man, and not trying to be selfish and go out there and make plays or anything like that that, you know, I don't need to be doing. So it's really been fun just to be a part of the team and just see the growth and the culture change that's been going on here. I love it. You just touched on so many important things, I think. Will Anderson Jr. is my guest. I mean, you don't you want to be the man. Everybody wants to be the guy to make the play, but you've got so many playmakers around you. You don't have to do it all yourself. I'm curious. The defense played big all game, but you made that enormous stand at the end of the game, picking Russell Wilson off in the end zone. How locked in were all 11 guys on your side of the ball in the final seconds of that game? You know, we were very locked in. I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to do on defense is like, when we're all on the same page. Like we always say, nobody can mess with us. When we're all doing things the right way, we're, we have a really ch- good chance to be a really great defense. So, man, just seeing everybody lock in and, you know, bow up and do their job and be exactly where they need to be, it was a beautiful thing to see. You know, Will, you and I spoke the week before the draft, and you were pumped at that time to find out where you might land in the NFL. Knowing what you know right now, could you have landed in a better spot than you did? Absolutely not, man. I'm so happy to be here, man. I was so happy when they came out because I, I, I honestly, I wanted to come here so bad. Like they were, they were my first top 30 visit and I wanted to come here so bad. And I was telling my eight, I was like, Nicole, I don't care what you got to do, but tell Houston, I want to be there so bad. And of course, I know they needed a quarterback, but man, when they traded up and they came and got me, man, it just meant the world to me because, you know, now it's even more like, oh yeah, I really can like, you know, come here and really be with the guys I really want to be with and be able to play for the coach I really want to, um, you know, play for. So it's been beautiful. I was going to say, well, it's pretty obvious right now why that was such a good spot for you. But when you first went there and you knew right away, like, man, this is the spot. This is where I want to be. How did you know? What was so great about it when you first got there that made you know that, man, this is it? I'm really big on relationships and I'm really big on, you know, people that I'm going to get a chance to work with and be around. And from the moment I walked into the building, to the moment I left, to the moment 
you know, draft process was going on, they stayed consistent the whole time. Like, they were the exact same people from the first time I met them to now, and they still are. So I think that's the really the biggest thing, like the people in the, in the staff, like the nutritionist, PR, uh, weight room, um, um, training room, coaches, everybody, like all the same. Like, and when you have a great – and even the players even had reached out, you know, during the draft. So, like, when you have people like that in the building, man, it just makes the program even better. It makes the organization, you know, um, a top organization. It makes people even want to come here. That's probably like free agency or anywhere because of the people that's in the building. So it was really good to see that. Yeah, to be really fair and really honest, man, and be real, people would not have said that about the Texans organization not that long ago. Everything you just laid out, man, this thing has flipped. This thing has changed. It has changed quickly. How much of that is about D'Amico Ryans? Man, I, I got to give a bit of credit to him, man. He just, he's just so full of energy, man. He loves the game so much. Um, the passion that he brings to the game, the energy that he brings in the building every day, we just feed off of it, man. He does an incredible job getting all of us ready. He's relatable, so he like he knows, you know, what like how it is. So like it's easy for him to like get to us, like what we have to do or what needs to be done. And it's just great um, for him to be here. You know, we all are appreciative of him. Man, he's doing a fantastic job. You know, I'm not there. I'm on the outside looking in, but it seems to me that he's relatable, one, because he's really good like that, really good in relating to players. Number two, he played the game at a high level. Number three, he played there. He knows that place. He knows that building. So that all makes sense to me. You know, Will, you said something that kind of stands out, too, that you're about relationships. You're about relationships. They're really important to you. Take you and C.J. Stroud. You're making my dude, GM Nick Casario, and his staff look really smart for taking you two guys with the second and third picks overall. Given that you and C.J. will always be linked based on what happened on draft night, how would you describe your relationship with him? And then how would you sum up the impact he's had on that team? Yeah, man, it's just crazy, like, the for us to even be teammates because we had spent kind of this the end of all season heading into the draft like we had spent that whole time together and we didn't even have a clue that we were going to be teammates so we already kind of started building a relationship then and then for us to be on the same team now like I actually got to see him work I actually got to see him be around like other dudes and everything like that and man like the dudes like gravitate towards CJ CJ has a big personality man always has a big smile on his face always cracking jokes and everything like that. But on the field, man, he takes care of business. He's always locked in, always cool, come and collected, man. But he just has that that competitive, you know, that competitive edge to him that no matter what's going to go out there happen, he's going to come out victorious. And he has a really big, you know, relationship with God. And I think it, it really affects everybody around us to like, you know, like, dang, like this dude is special. So we just want to like play for him and even go even harder for the organization and CJ because he's so great. Man, that's really interesting. He's got so much it. Will, like I talked, you and I spoke before the draft. I talked to him on Radio Row and I'm like, man, I watched him his entire college career and obviously loved him as a player. But then when you sit with CJ, like he just has this kind of, this aura, man. He's got this thing. He's got this it. And you know he's got all these things. Despite all of that, and you knew that already, how fired up were you and your teammates to see him get in Broncos linebacker Alex Singleton's grill after that late hit on Sunday and not give an inch. Man, we was really he <laughs> was uh we was crying on the sideline. It was funny. We all had walked out there on the field to make sure nothing had happened, but you know, everybody was cracking jokes uh after the game. I don't know one uh one of the Olam was like, TJ, you was really, you was finna get beat up out there, wasn't you? And we was all just laughing about it. But like TJ's the type of person like he don't stand for no crap. You know what I'm saying? Like, he a man just like everybody else. Just because he played quarterback, like, you can be tough, too. And that's what I think everybody respects so much about CJ. That is the best. Will, before you go, a couple of quick thoughts. Like, you had a huge game. I could argue that you're very much in the running for a defensive rookie of the year. It doesn't mean it's easy, man. It doesn't mean there haven't been challenges. I mean, this is a different grind altogether, right? So how would you describe what the season's yeah. been like for you personally? For me, um... It's just been a lot of learning, and I think that's what keeps me going. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just eager to learn and get better. You know, it's easy when you're not having success to quit and get down on yourself and be hard on yourself, but it's also the people that's here. You know what I'm saying? Like I said, I just have to give a big thanks to the guys in the locker room, man, and the guys in the defensive line room and the coaches that's here, man. Like, they always keep you in high spirits, always keep you with positivity in your head. And I tell you, like, um, the faith that's around in the building with everybody, like, like Dylan, our person, player personnel guy, Coach Rod, just an assistant defensive line coach, and then all the vets in the room, man. Like it's been, it's like it's been great having those guys here. So like I would just say, like it's just been a really good learning experience for me to learn how to overcome adversity, learn how to keep my mental on the right track, 
and not get distracted by what the world has to say and don't need the approval of anybody else but Will Anderson and God. So it's really been a fantastic thing to be a part of. You know, it sounds like to me, it sounds like number one, it's all about the energy. It's all about the energy, right? You don't want any energy vampires. It sounds like the energy in that building is incredible. It also sounds like maybe you might be talking about something you may have picked up in college. You want to stay away from the rat poison. Is there rat poison on Sundays too? Is that still in the back of your mind? <laughs> Always. I, I promise you, um, I, I I always listen to Coach Saban, like still to this day, like I always still listen to the message he said. And I was looking at a video. Um, uh, He's just so powerful with his words. And he said, it's time in games like this, it's time to turn your, exec- it's time to turn your passion into execution. And that stuck with me like this whole Sunday. Like I'm so passionate. I just go out there and execute what you have to go do and go do it. So like, Man, like, I, I miss playing for the man, man. He's great. He's really the GOAT. Always have a wise words to say, very knowledgeable. He's taught me so much in my time being at Alabama. I try to emulate a lot of everything that he does in his life into what I do in my life now. So I can't thank Coach Saban enough for, like, all the great things. That is extremely high praise. I got to be honest. I love that line. It's time to turn your passion into execution. He was the number three pick overall. Won a natty. With the Crimson Tide in 2020, having a big season, coming off a big, big game, arguably his best game as a pro, and he just froze. It's all right. It's all right, Will, my man. Uh, your feed just froze, so I can't properly thank you to your face. Oh, there you go, Will. You froze for a minute, dude. I was just giving you credit for what you had said. I love that line. It's time to turn your execution or your passion into your execution, dude. Nothing but respect. I appreciate you so much. Thank you very much for coming back on the show, Will. Great to have you. Thank you. I appreciate you for having me. U.S. Cellular wants to help everybody get the gift of connection this holiday season. Already a customer? This applies to you, too, because right now, new and current customers can get any phone, and I mean any phone, for free. Yes, really free. Sounds like it's time to make the switch. Spread holiday cheer far and wide this season with a new phone. Everybody can get the gift of connection at U.S. Cellular. Get any phone free today. U.S. Cellular, built for us. Terms apply. Visit U.S. USCellular.com for details. Meantime, another day, another drama at one Jets drive. You know things are really bad when you have to go crawling back to the Coog Hunter. You know things are even worse when you have to crawl back to the Coog Hunter and you get rejected. Allegedly. Reportedly. Supposedly. That all went down yesterday. A couple of weeks back, all of New York City Hell, all of America was basically like anybody but Zach Wilson. Please, anyone but the Coog Hunter. Put any dude out there. It doesn't even matter who. I mean, hell, the Giants found themselves some local area kid living with his parents, and that worked out great. Just do that. Just run anybody out there not named Zach Wilson. It was hard to imagine anything could be worse. And then we all sat through Tim Boyle. Tim Boyle was so bad, he actually made Jet Fan miss the Coog Hunter, which I didn't think was possible at this point. Hell, made Jet's organization miss the Coog Hunter, apparently. Because a really funny thing just happened. The Jets decided they want to turn back to the CH. And then the Coog Hunter decided he did not want the ball back. That is, if reports are to be believed. If you believe the report from The Athletic yesterday, the Jets are just about ready to turn back to the Coog Hunter. It's just that the Coog Hunter is not all that enthusiastic about the opportunity. Or at least he wasn't until Aaron Rodgers himself intervened. Check out this report at D. M. Rusini. On the X, she writes, quote, Timeline of events we are reporting. Zach Wilson made it clear to multiple members of the organization, players, staff, coaches, of his apprehension to start due to perceived injury risk, per sources. The conversations with Rodgers came as a result of Wilson's shared sentiments with others. End of tweet. I mean, wow. 
So according to, quote, multiple members of the organization, Zach made it, quote, clear that he didn't want to start due to perceived injury risk, reportedly. And that confuses the hell out of me. Like, on the one hand, I wouldn't want to play behind that offensive line either. I'd have concerns about that unless I were that guy. And never mind my starting job, but my entire career hung in the balance. And then again, (laughs) of all guys, if this is true, how in the hell is the kook hunter in any position to turn the ball down? I mean, it's a miracle that they even want to give this guy the ball. And yet he's saying, no, I'm good, allegedly. Yeah, no, I'm good. What do you mean you're good? Why? Um, I don't want to get hurt. Yeah, I know. I got a, a tremendous threshold for his pain. Again, I'm just going by the report. I'm reacting to the report. Here's my question. This guy's fighting for his NFL survival, right? He's fighting for legacy. He's already on the verge of going down as one of the worst draft picks ever. How can he tell anybody that he doesn't want to play? We all know he can't play, but now he's saying he won't play? Allegedly? Can I repeat that? We all know he can't play, but their situation is so jacked up they need him to. We all know he can't play, but now we're led to believe that he won't play? Allegedly? When have you ever seen the face of the franchise, the number two pick overall, say he's reluctant to take the ball because he's afraid of getting hurt? I'm sure some guys have thought it. I'm sure maybe some have even said it privately. Well, he did, but it got out. I just can't point to any case that I know of where that happened. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I'm not saying it happened here. Yeah, I know I'm hedging a lot. I, I want to be careful about how I say this. I'm reacting to the report, but she and they are reporting that multiple people within the organization were told that by him. So I don't really, I can't really think of a situation similar to this. I just know that if you're on the verge of being an all-time bust, if you care about how your career and how you yourself are viewed around the league and you're healthy and they're telling you they need you, or they have no choice, but they want you to play, how is the answer anything other than, hell yes, let's freaking go. I got to get something else good on tape. I got to salvage my career here. I have to give somebody outside this town and this organization a reason to believe in me. Unless, unless, you've already made up your mind that you prefer the Coog hunting life to the NFL life reportedly afraid of getting hurt? My man, what are you saving yourself for? Cougar night at the singles bar? Dude, you have your whole life to recover. (laughs) Right now, you need to save your career. It's a good thing you had Aaron there to get in your ear and give you some good advice. I mean, some pretty obvious advice, but at least that's one guy you'll listen to. You, You can't say no to a start in the NFL. Not if you're anyone, but especially not if you're you. Not if you're a former number two pick overall who's got comparable stats to Jamarcus Russell and is barely hanging on to a job and a future in the league. Jamarcus Russell. I mean, if true, these conversations, if they really were happening behind the scenes yesterday, then clearly this guy still does not get it. Yeah, I know. It's windy as hell out there, guys. And also, come on, guys, it's a rough game. I mean, I don't want to get hurt or anything. I mean, guys, imagine if I got hurt. Imagine how upset I would be if it were windy and I got hurt. It's windy as hell out there, too, guys. That would suck so much. If it got windy and I got hurt. It's windy as hell out there, too, guys. I mean, it's rainy as hell out there. What if it rains? What if there's wind and rain? And I get hurt. I don't know if this is all true. Strike three for Jet fan. Or strike 11. Or strike 200. Jet fan. Jet fan. Jet fan probably wants to give the guy the hands if it's true. 
And Bob Sala had to know that that was coming when he hopped up on the podium to do even more damage control. And by the way, Bob's not that good at that. Bob really is not that good at that. Bob's not that smooth at damage control. And he didn't do a very good job of it yesterday either. Let's be clear. Um, if he was reluctant to play guys, he wouldn't be here. All right. Uh, I actually coincidentally just got done speaking with him. Uh, he came in about a half hour ago and we had a really good conversation. The young man wants the ball. He wants to start. He believes he's the best uh, quarterback in the room and best quarterback for this team and the best and the guy who gives us the best chance to win. Um, and I'll tell you guys the same thing I told him. I appreciate it. I appreciate the fact that he wants to play. I'm just not there yet. Wow. Quote, come on. If the guy didn't want to be here or didn't want to play, he wouldn't be here. All right. Except what about that report involving numerous people in the organization that he told that he was apprehensive about playing? I like when coaches get really emphatic, like, let's be clear. Like, that's going to make it all right. Let's be clear. He thinks he's the best quarterback in the room. Oh, he thinks he's better than Boyle. Well, if it's so clear and so obvious, why are you not committing to him yet? Okay, so so you set the record straight. So the report then is all backwards. But you're still not ready to name him the starter quite yet. He wants to play. He thinks he's the best player in the quarterback room. That report's not true. Great. So it's all normal, right? And he's the second pick overall. So then why why are you not making him the guy? And then what about that report? Zach making it clear to quote, multiple members of the organization, players, staff, coaches, of his apprehension to start. I'll tell you what, if that report's not accurate... That's a big swing, all right? That's not sources or a source tells the athletic. That's multiple members of the organization, players, staff, coaches. Somebody here is not telling the truth. I mean, who's lying here? It can't be both. Are they all lying? What exactly is going on here? Hey, Coach, Help us out. What is going on here, Bob? You guys know me. I'm always going to put myself in another person's shoes um, to try to understand what they are or aren't feeling. And so you would say empathetically, like, you know, we, we're in a society now where kids miss bowl games because they're worried about their draft status, right? And it's just kind of so empathetically, if that discussion had been had somewhere, uh, Again, it wasn't whoa, with me. Whoa, what? 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 Kids had, miss bowl so games because they're concerned about their draft status. He was taken second overall. He's already in the NFL. What the hell does that have to do with anything? Well, well, empathetically, empathetically, whatever that word means, empathetically, what does that conversation mean? Players, quote, kids skip bowl games because they're concerned about their draft status. He's already been drafted. He was drafted second overall. What are you talking about, Bob? Eric in Texas. Good to have you, Eric. What's up? Good morning. All right. Good afternoon, Jim. How are you today? I'm super, dude. How about you? Uh, Jim, you wanted a Texans fan on this vine. You have a Texans fan on this vine. And let me tell you something. For the first time in three years, the word is hope. We have hope for the first time since J.J. Watt walked off the NRG Stadium Field, in January of 2021. We got the pick right with Will Anderson. I knew that. C.J. Stroud has surpassed all expectations. The reality is we ought to be in first right now because things happened in the Jacksonville game. Almost had it, didn't win it. That's okay. I feel confident we can get them in the playoffs. And the way things are going in the AFC, I feel pretty good about anybody else in playing anybody else in the AFC, too, including the Chiefs, because they're not the same team they were either. That's all I got. War love for the Texans. War the Rockets sneaking up on everybody. And War Matt Rule getting it together at Nebraska. Out. Nice job, dude. Well done. It's a good take. Speaking of the Rockets, I'm talking about Bruce Feldman. Bruce, good to have you back. How you doing? 
Doing great, Jim. Good to be on with you today. So good to have you, Bruce. Appreciate it so much. All right, so you wrote a column in The Athletic about how the college football playoff selection process played itself out, so why don't we jump right in. Alabama is in. Florida State is out. Bruce, did the committee get that one right? I don't think they did. I think what has happened, Jim, and for years – Myself and a lot of other folks have always maintained that college football had the best regular season of any of the major sports, better than the NFL regular season, better than the NBA, better than baseball. And the reason for this is that small sample size of the season, but all the games matter. And what you're basically saying, if you're the college football playoff committee, is that, yeah, Florida State went 13-0. Yeah, they whipped LSU, who's one of the best teams with the best player in the SEC, did a better job on Jaden Daniels than anybody. And you're undefeated, you win a Power 5 conference, and it didn't really matter. Yeah, the games happen, the outcomes happen, but we didn't like how you looked this past weekend with your third-string quarterback. By the way, the third-string quarterback He's not expected to be the starter come, you know, playoff time. That's the backup, who, by the way, did lead them on a uh, a come-from-behind win last year against Louisville. Now, they're not going to factor that in, and they probably shouldn't, but they should they be projecting all of this to say, hey, you know, whatever happened 13-0, I mean, they didn't certainly hold that Alabama didn't look very good a week ago against a really mediocre Auburn team. And by the way, that Auburn team got whipped by New Mexico State um this is a 13-0 Florida State team I really feel like they got screwed by the committee Bruce Feldman is joining us so Bruce you make a very compelling argument for Florida State bottom line this in your opinion why then did the committee choose Alabama over Florida State I mean I think it's really hard for them to get past this fact that an SEC champ a one-loss SEC champ at that would get left out of the playoff. I mean, look, it's, it's, I believe this, and I think everybody who pays attention to college football believes that the SEC has definitely been the dominant conference for the last two decades. Having said that, this has not been a great year for the SEC. I mean, they didn't even have a winning record against the ACC. And I think you can nitpick a lot of this stuff, but the truth of it is when Texas went to Tuscaloosa and beat and beat Alabama handily in Tuscaloosa, I think it was going to be really hard to get past the head-to-head, even though the SEC is seems to be a better conference than the Big 12, and certainly Texas is moving to the SEC next year. But they couldn't jump, I think, and keep out an SEC, SEC champ in their heads. So what did they use to do this? Well, all right, look, I know that they're 13-0, but Florida State hasn't looked very good the last couple of weeks. And I think, and it doesn't take much to, to buy into this, that there's a lot of spinning that goes on in this. And ultimately, I think they looked and said, okay, what is who are the best four teams? And the best four teams becomes this like get out of jail free card to get the matchups that the CFP ultimately wants. I mean, by that standard, I think that's how Georgia almost got into this, right? It's like, if you're really going to say the best four teams, then why not just stick? Yeah, Georgia just lost. But, you know, we think they're probably one of the best four teams. We could say, well, Vegas would say they're one of the best four teams. But ultimately, that shouldn't be how they're deciding this at this point. I mean, you got, if the games don't matter, then then don't schedule some of these non-conference, big out-of-conference games if you're going to say they just don't matter. And I think that's a hard message that Florida State is learning. I mean, look, the Vegas experts were going to say that Oregon was going to beat Washington last week. They're almost a double-digit favorite. But Washington beat them again. And, you know, at least on that part, it held out. They're 13-0. But so is Florida State. And Florida State's getting left at home. We are talking to Bruce Feldman. So what about that? I mean, so in your opinion, Bruce, should it be the four, quote, most deserving? Or should it be the four best teams and did they get the four best teams? I think you you can't leave out. If this was a 12 and one Florida State team that had had lost, but they answered every test. That's where I feel like they kind of got left back. 
And I've seen some people use the, the comparison of Ohio State when they won the national title almost 10 years ago, when Cardell Jones, a backup, stepped in and looked great, and they lit up Wisconsin in the Big 12, Big 10 title game, 59 to nothing. And they ended up going on, and they, they won the playoff that year. The difference is that Ohio State team, they lost at home by two touchdowns to Virginia Tech. They were not undefeated. And also, when you looked at their resume – they only had one other win before the Big Ten title game against a top 25 team, and that was Michigan State. They didn't have much of a resume to stand on. Now, they were really talented, and they ended up you know, doing what they needed to do once they got their shot. But it's not a, I don't think it's a realistic comparison to say, oh, well, Ohio State looked great when Cardell Jones was the backup, and Florida State looked shaky when they had to play the third string guy. I mean, to me, that that takes out what Florida State did during the regular season. It also, I think it doesn't give the credit to Florida State's defense to be as good as it has been this season. And it's been dominant, especially in recent weeks when it had to be. Bruce Feldman joining us. So, Bruce, what about Florida State and the ACC? Are they not also to blame for their own demise for participating in the alliance that delayed that 12-team playoff until next year? Well, that definitely doesn't help the perception of this, that the ACC decided to delay this or that's what, you know, some of the chatter we've heard and it, out of this. And so it looks like it's irony there. You know, uh, ultimately, I think that's the part that if you're a, you know, I don't think it makes it any easier if you're a Florida State player, if you're Jordan Travis, you know, when he's commenting about, uh, you know, how he had wished he had had gotten the injury sooner so they could have had more of a, you know, more of a sample size to show what this team is made out of. It's, you know, it's unfortunate that this is the system that college football has. Uh, it's going to expand next year to 12 teams. And I think there's less of an argument when we are talking about who's 11, who's 12, who's 13, 14, as opposed to, in this case, you have five power five conferences. There was always this potential for somebody to get screwed and this is the one year it really was a glaring omission. Yeah, I mean, Bruce, to me, the shock is not that this happened, but that, that this didn't happen sooner. I mean, the math never worked. It never worked. You've got four chairs and you've got five power conferences. Let me ask you this. In defense of the argument that you're making, I would agree in this sense. Like, to me, I think they got screwed. I think they got jammed, absolutely. But I'm not at all surprised that the committee did this because of, well, eyeballs, buzz, ratings, interest, et cetera, et cetera. But let me ask you this. If Florida State, if the committee is going to make the argument that Florida State, frankly, is not the same team that they were, and certainly in the lot, not in the last few weeks, if that's the case, why did the committee have them at number four last week? I, I, that's a great question. And I think the one thing that they'll circle back with is, well, they didn't look very good in this game. The hard part of that is, that you're basically saying that the the freshman Brocklin who went in there, who's the third string guy, he would not be the guy who will be who would be starting the playoff. So I think it's a little bit of a red herring to put it out that way. But Florida State needed with everybody else. They needed, you know, if they had won 28 to nothing, would that have been resounding enough? My guess is it probably still wouldn't have been enough. And just like if there was a catastrophic injury at the end of the game for Alabama, where you know, Jalen Milrow would have gotten hurt and wouldn't have been able to start the playoff. I suspect they wouldn't have done the same thing. I mean, at this point, I think the the benefit of the doubt is way out the window with the CFP. Um, there's no way of knowing for sure any of those things would be the way they are. I just think they have left themselves open to a whole lot of skepticism and a whole lot of conspiracy theory at this point. Bruce Feldman joining us. Hey, Bruce, before you go, if you don't mind, it's an excellent column. You should go read that on The Athletic. Bruce, with the bowl season about to start, that also means that the transfer portal season is underway. Your colleague with The Athletic, Max Olson, pointed out 500 scholarship FBS players entered the portal. That sets a new record. Who were some of the most notable names that jumped out to you? Well, I start with the quarterbacks. Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma was a is a prolific quarterback. He started his career at UCF. Now the question is, where does he go? You know, we we think USC with Caleb Williams moving on will be in the market. We know Lincoln Riley's had success with the Oklahoma quarterbacks before. Um, the, is that a case where Ohio State will be in the market? We know Ryan Day has had a ton of success developing quarterbacks. Uh, Dylan Gabriel's old offensive coordinator at now two places, Jeff Levy became the head coach at Mississippi State. Does Oregon try to get him? I mean, there 
that's the part where this is going to get interesting is I think you're going to see a lot of bidding wars. Cam Ward is a really uh, talented quarterback at Washington State. He may everything Max and I have heard is that he's probably leaning towards going into the NFL draft. But does somebody throw enough money at him to convince him to maybe stay in college one more year and develop? Because this is obviously a loaded draft for quarterbacks. Maybe it's in his best interest if the money is right to stay stay and hold on and see what he, what his options are going to be a year from now. Hey, Bruce, one last question. Nobody was more aggressive with the portal than Deion Sanders when he arrived at Colorado. Now he's dealing with top recruits decommitting. He's got numerous assistant coaches departing from Boulder. He was the hottest thing in all sports for a minute, but everybody had to know that that was not immediately sustainable and adversity would hit once they got into conference play. We knew this. But exactly how is this falling apart the way it is? For instance, is it a six-game losing streak to end the season, or are there bigger issues within that program that maybe we don't know about? Yeah, we did a big story on this at The Athletic last week with my uh, with my colleagues on this, Sam Khan and David Ubbin. And one of the things we really kind of got into was just – you can it's i don't want to say it's built on a house of cards because in one sense you had shador is a really talented quarterback you have some really good receivers and some pretty good defensive backs what they just did not have was guys in the trenches and you know we talked to a lot of coaches who, who pointed out you know the culture building the development piece you can't just flip the switch and expect that to take off those are the things that ultimately are going to help this program sustain now question is how much better can he get you know, get on both sides of the ball in the trenches. We know he's going to go hard into the portal. He's lost a bunch of good assistants now, which isn't entirely surprising. Sean Lewis got, you know, got the head coaching job at San Diego State. His offensive line coach was coming with him. You know, his top, Dion's top recruiter, uh, Nick Williams, is a, is a was a defensive line coach with a lot of strong connections as a recruiter. Now he's going to Syracuse to that staff. So I think for Dion, the big part is going to be how much better can he get in the trenches, especially on the O-line? And that's the part where ultimately they wore down. And over the first month of the season, they looked pretty good. And I think they did battle at a lot of times and they were close on a, on a handful of other games that they didn't win. But it's, it's what can you do in terms of for staying power? Because it's like, I think it was it's one thing to go from horrible, which they were before he got the job, to respectable and that's what they were last year but it's a bigger step to go from one win to four wins to really make it to be an eight or nine win team where you can give your guys a fighting chance i think they're going to in the big 12 it's they probably won't see as tough a competition as some of the teams they saw in the pac 12 because you've had a lot of quarterbacks who came back and they got in these shootouts where they ultimately couldn't keep up in most of them I think if he can get better, and that's the challenge, is convincing good assistant coaches to come in now after year one of this and buy in. Because I think there are going to be a lot of kids who still want to play for Deion Sanders and still want to be a part of this. I think there will be a lot. It's just you have to get some really mature physical kids and that's what they didn't have enough of last year. He is Bruce Feldman, a National College Football Insider for The Athletic, also a college football reporter for Fox Sports and a best-selling author, a good friend of the program. Bruce, always good to have you on. Thank you so much. Great job as always. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jim. Good night now!